Hello, and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom and SetApp. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Rocket and Polygon's resident horse expert. <laughs> and I'm joined today by Christina Warren, Rocket, Rocket's uh, resident horse naysayer. <laughs> <laughs> And the senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, but that's like obviously kind of like an honorary title. Her real right. title is, of course, senior horse naysayer. Yes, I just came up with that on the fly. Like that was that was pure improv, baby. That, that was, was straight from the veins. That was excellent. And I know that we need to talk about your iPad first, but we will be talking about this later. Simone has over the last few weeks written some amazing horse girl content, and. Listeners, just to give you a preview, like I, I am definitely a, a a horse naysayer. Like I am the antithesis of the horse girl, and this content has just made me question everything that I've ever thought about myself because it's so good. I'm literally so excited to talk to you about this, and that's why it's great that it's coming at the end of the show because we're just gonna we're gonna build up to this massive explosion of uh, horse excitement. But yes. first, let me be excited about something else. So as longtime listeners of the show know, when the iPad, the new iPad Airs were announced, I was like, dang, I want that. And I say that a lot. <laughs> a lot of the time when products come out, I say, dang, I want that. And then I uh, don't purchase them because at the end of the day, I am both lazy and a cheapskate. However, I did get the new iPad Air after a saga in which I attempted to buy the iPhone 12 and was defeated by my own foolishness and inability to read instructions on the Apple website. Um, I got the green iPad Air and the Magic Keyboard, and the Magic Keyboard came first, and it sat in my room for about a week and a half just being there, and me looking at it, like I unboxed it, and I was kind of like, trying to open it. And I thought, I, I don't know about this. Like the hinge is weirdly stiff and I don't see like from the angle of it, it looked so upright. And I was like, I don't know what the iPad is going to look like when it's sitting on this. I'm confused. Um, and then my iPad finally came and I was able to unbox that beautiful, incredibly light device and put it on the magic keyboard and now I understand why everyone is so excited about this. This thing friggin' rules, Christina. So tell me about how you're using it, because I'm so excited. Also, real quick before you tell me that, is this this is not your first iPad, is it? It is not my first iPad. I believe my first iPad was the iPad 3. Uh, and that was back in gosh, I was still in college, so it was pre-2013. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah. All right. But so it's not your first, but it's been a while since you've had an iPad, right? Very much so. And I vividly, I remember by the time I was um, like cleaning off that old iPad, I ended up sending it uh, back to Apple two, one, one or two years ago because I, I just didn't use it anymore. It didn't really hold a charge um, and it was incredibly slow. And the process of wiping it so that I could safely send it back took so long. Uh, that poor thing. I, th this is not a, like a diss on the iPad. It was very no, no, old no, no, no. by that time. <laughs> totally. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is the first uh, first new iPad I've had in a while. And I was just so stunned by how light it was. And then also, I, I love the squared edges. I believe the old one I had was that kind of uh, 
slightly it's like the concave design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The teardrop shape. Um, so it had like thinner edges and then a, a rounded back. And that, I, it was fine. I, I love that device a lot. But I, I just put the iPad in front of the mic if my voice sounded quieter there for some reason. It's because I'm clutching my iPad to my chest. I, I just love the way that this thing feels. Um, in the same way that initially when I held the iPhone 12 with its square edges, there something about that spoke to me. I guess I'm really into squared off edges right now. But yes, this thing is so light. It's so functional. This is the first time I've used an iPad with the split screen functionality. Um, so the main things that I've been doing with it are one, watching YouTube videos, uh, which is what I was doing tonight as I was researching this episode of Rocket. I had some YouTube videos up on my iPad, and then I was reading articles for the show on my uh, MacBook. And if I had thought through with my brain, I would have split screened YouTube and Google Docs, although I guess like then I couldn't have like read and then copy pasted at the same time. However, I have also been uh, using... I've like been doing taking some notes on the sun also rises because that's who I am as a person. So Mm -hmm. I have a copy of the sun also rises uh, as a PDF. And then I have that open in one pane and then Google drive open in the other pane. And I've been doing some writing that way on the iPad and I just love it so much. It is, it it just feels so easy to do things. And I really do. I've, been gravitating towards doing things with the iPad instead of my laptop, which is what I hoped would happen. Um, and obviously it's also like our, we have a new romance right now. We have new relationship energy, me and the iPad. So <laughs> that's not surprising necessarily, but um, I've been really, really happy with it. Disappointments. There, I did not know that there was no WhatsApp app for iPad. I've had to no, use the not. browser. Mm-hmm. Why is that? <laughs> It's bad, and I know it's. I agree, it's a pain. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, I think that's the only problem I've really run into so far. I'm trying to think back. Marco Polo doesn't go into horizontal mode. That's weird. The one thing that I do, and there's probably not a good way to do this and have the magic keyboard be as elegant and easy to use as it is. Um, I wish that I could turn the iPad horizontal and have it. And vertical? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, vertical is the word I was looking for there. Horizontal and vertical. Um, But otherwise, I've been super happy with the Magic Keyboard. And, like, I, I found myself, like, when even when I was coming in back into my bedroom to, like, set up for this podcast, I grabbed the Magic Keyboard with the iPad on it. And I was just kind of carrying it. And it was, you know, like, sideways <laughs> rather than upright. And I maybe I shouldn't do that. However... I was also pretty confident that the magnets, extremely powerful magnets, were not going to fail me, and they didn't. So, who's <laughs> correct now? Yes. No, I'm so happy. I have the biggest smile on my face hearing about Yay. you using this. And, uh, yeah, I think that this is going to be awesome for you. I uh, I think that the more you use it, the more you're going to get use cases out of it. I, I now feel like, I don't know, I feel like I have to get you a magic pencil for Christmas now because... Christina... I would appreciate that. However, you know I am saving. I have the Apple Card now, so that's going to be my little Christmas gift to myself because I have. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thank you, though. Okay, <laughs> I we'll definitely, appreciate it. Okay, we'll definitely but I can't do that let you because, finance because, my because Apple you, habits. You already bought me AirPods. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough, but but um, but 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 that's going to be a game changer when you when you come to like taking notes about stuff because like 
there are some apps like OneNote where you can actually take your notes with handwriting uh, while you're reading, or you can mark up the PDF. And that just makes things that much cooler because it's like you're really, you know, reading a book and then you're making the annotations, which is really great. I am super excited about that. Yeah, I cannot wait to use that. Uh, I think the things, the remaining things that I want to do, um, I want to, I haven't used it with New York Times cooking yet. I have the app on it, but I think it's mm-hmm. just going to be dope for that. Um, totally. I want to try to use YouTube studio and maybe do some like light video editing on it and just see how it goes. Um, but I have, I have been using it with Libby a lot, my library book app. And that's been so yeah. nice. Like I, I, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, you know that I read books on my phone. Um, and I have the iPhone 11, uh, and I, I like reading on my phone. I really don't mind it. However, it's not the same. Was it really nice? Yes. <laughs> um to read on a big screen and also i feel like that i don't know if the ipad's lighter than my phone but maybe just because of the the angles that i can hold it at without like gripping it it's better for my wrists yeah the weight distribution is definitely better for for something like that uh you will run into a thing and and the air is lighter than the pro but they're about the same physical size and i've got the 11 inch uh pro i don't have the big boy the 13.9 inch because that's just that's just Mm -hmm. too much um but the one thing you will maybe find because this is running to me is like if you're reading in bed and like you've got like above your your head like you you will have the thing where you might accidentally you know drop the ipad on your face like that's a thing that is going to happen totally inevitable it's completely inevitable but it's okay um also what i'm looking forward to you uh, trying out because this is one of my use cases a lot i use my ipad for meetings all the time because it just runs you know teams more efficiently or zoom or whatever more efficiently than uh, my laptop does so that's something that uh i encourage you to play around with especially with your airpods because that's it's a it's a good way to do things because then like you don't have that like shut like slowing down your laptop if you needed to do other stuff you can just have the meeting running you can still use the camera if you need to but uh it it makes it really seamless so i'm excited to get more yeah so i'm I'm excited to get more uh to hear more about how uh your love affair with this goes obviously you're in like the heady like super you know sexy time part of the relationship but i I think this is going to develop into something long lasting and i'm excited for you Thank you so much. All right. So that was our little divergence into uh, iPad land. The genuine topics of tonight's show. We're going to be talking about Snapchat Spotlight. We're going to be talking about some like wild ass drama. I'll call it drama with Apple's head of security. The unexpected headline of the week is what that segment will kind of be. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we'll be talking about Horse Week a little bit about Taylor Swift. Uh, But first, Snapchat has announced that they are launching a section called Spotlight, where they will highlight users' short-form videos. And are they investing in these videos? They are, folks. Snap is saying they will pay a million a day, at least through the end of December, although I don't think there's a confirmed end date for that, for people, two people who make the most popular videos. So basically, Snap is making a play to bite at the success of TikTok and Reels. Uh, One thing that Spotlight, Snapchat Spotlight is doing differently from Reels is that apparently it will not allow videos with watermarks, which means 
that all of the reels that you see that are actually just people's reposted TikToks mm-hmm. will not be allowed to exist on that. Uh, there are some other differences as well. And I think the biggest one is that the snap, most of the spotlights will be anonymous because most Snapchat users don't have public accounts. And there's no remixing or like what what happens on TikTok all the time, which is somebody like duetting with someone where you can see their video side by side or remixing a concept that someone has already done, uh, like taking their audio and making their own version of it. So there's not going to be any of that with Spotlight. So so it's interesting. They I can see both upsides of it and some really huge downsides. How do you feel, Christina? Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. And um, in some ways, it's it's kind of, in a weird way, shows Snapchat coming of age, because I feel like the way that you really become an established social media company is when you rip off one of your competitors. <laughs> uh, and, and and I mean that genuinely, right? Yeah. Like at this point, like, 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 you know, Twitter ripped off, uh, like, like Facebook started ripping off some Twitter things, right? And, and Twitter ripped off most recently Snapchat stories, as did Instagram. And you know, um, now, um, you know, Instagram has taken a lot of stuff from uh, TikTok, but but now Snapchat is going head to head and it's live in the U.S. and some other countries. And if you go through the user experience, it is very, very similar in terms of the flow to TikTok. Like they have just mm. wholesale ripped, knocked that off, which, you know what? I, I'm not mad at it. Just like I wasn't mad at, at Instagram for stealing stories like, OK, that, that works. So on the one hand, I do feel like this is actually like. Snapchat coming of age and and being taking itself seriously as a platform. At the same time, I also feel like the way that they're doing the addressing monetization from the beginning is really smart because that's something that TikTok is now doing really belatedly, uh, where they are at this point, I think, trying to, and I think Casey Newton said this in, in his newsletter, but I, I this is a thing I've noticed too, and that I've commented on other conversations I've had about this over the the last few months is that TikTok is really just about trying to prevent their biggest stars from leaving the platform. I don't really get the sense that they care so much about having, at least right now, a sustainable revenue share for it, their creators in general. I just don't think they care. I think they're more like, okay, keep the Demilios on, keep the other like really big people on, but we don't, you know, the other stuff, like whatever. Um, so I think that the fact that out the gate, Snapchat has these revenue uh, opportunities is really smart. Where I see it being both, I think, and this is maybe what you were alluding to, both a good and a bad thing, is that this does very much feel like the adult, responsible, real company approach to TikTok in a way that is that is less corporate and and less like just like without any vision, which is like what Instagram Reels is to me right now. And what I mean by that is that you know, you can't up- upload watermark stuff, which is smart. And that's going to encourage people to have to either upload original content or ironically, maybe use Snapchat to create it and then upload those Snapchat things to TikTok. <laughs> Who knows, right? But the other thing is that, you know, they have to actually license their music, which is something TikTok hasn't done. And mm. they, you know, have other kind of things in play that are definitely going to make corporate investors and and make their, you know, their status as a public company um, uh, operate differently. So I think that in some ways it is like the more like professional realized version of what TikTok does. But at the same time, that does sort of take away what the magic of TikTok is. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I absolutely agree that the things that they're doing are a monetization 
uh, and watermarking are very smart. I think my stumbling block is that anonymity. And I, I guess they're kind of like the monetization may go some way towards addressing this because the main way that TikTokers make money is by becoming very, very famous on the app and then having brands right. give them money. Um, and I because you can't follow people on these accounts on Snapchat, I mean, you can follow your friends, but these accounts, because they'll be anonymous, you can't necessarily follow them and grow their follower count. That's not how Snapchat works. Um, you can't necessarily make the promise that your snap spotlight will be seen by my 5 million followers. Um, so brands don't really have an incentive. So like, that's why Snapchat, I think has to pay people or pay the most popular creators. Ha ha. They're not paying everyone. Um, I, I don't know. It just feels like there's something missing there. And certainly like a lot of what content creators are trying to do nowadays, like the big content creators are trying to become successful through building an audience on their own account and then parlay that into some more traditional methods of fame and fortune, i.e. TV, i.e. brand deals, um, etc. So it, it just doesn't feel like that is necessarily a pipeline that's possible with Spotlight. And I don't necessarily know that yet if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But to me, like right off the bat, my instinct is, well, if if it's anonymous, like if people can't follow my account, then what am I doing? Right. Although, I mean, is it clear? Because because I'm, I'm like looking through the app right now and I certainly see some people whose usernames are out there and I can follow. And maybe they are part of whatever Snap's, you know, verified program or whatever is. But I got the impression that you could see their username and you could follow them or make a request or whatever, as long as it's not private. The issue is that most mm. people have private accounts. So part of it might be a push towards making people, you know, wanting to upload their their snaps more publicly. Oh, like um, having people open up their Snapchats to more public accounts? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that that that's kind of what I see. But I do think you, you bring up a good point. And I think this is ultimately, for me, where TikTok has its greatest advantage in a lot of ways is the fact that it doesn't have the built-in social graph. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to, everybody has to basically start over, um, because it's not, there's not an easy way for you to find people on your other accounts. You can't connect it to Twitter or, or Instagram and, you know, import all the people you're following there. I think you might be able to like upload your address book or whatever, but like, that's not what people are using it for. Mm-hmm. Whereas Snapchat started out as such a private, like these are people I actually know space, not even people that I might know online, like what Instagram has become and, and certainly what what Twitter is, uh, that I think that, you know, that's that's one of the big reasons why people can kind of blow up and, and build these identities on TikTok so quickly. A, it's youth component, but B, I think it's just the fact that you go into it without having to feel like you have these preconceived you know, like notions about who who you're you're presenting to and who you're following. That is, yes, I, that's so true, and I think we've talked about that before. Is just that idea that it, it is the one app where you start an account and you don't bother following the people that you know in real life. Whereas, like with your exactly. Facebooks, your Twitters, your um, 
your Instagrams. It's like, oh, let me find my friends. TikTok, you don't want to see your friends on there. No, You no. don't want them to see you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like usually they're like very different things and you get into different subcultures. And I do think that on that, to, on, on that end, I think that that is what makes the way Snap is doing it make sense, right? You can mm. be watching snaps of people that you don't follow. I do think your point, though, about the fact that, you know, people's names aren't on there and it's anonymous. And yeah, you get paid, but you're not going to get... Uh, notoriety or, or or fame could be a problem. And so, but that's something that they could solve, right? Like they could very easily make it so you could opt in and be like, okay, mm-hmm. have my username there. What I could also anticipate people doing is that obviously they're not allowing people to have um, watermarks, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if you started seeing people tagging themselves or putting their own credentials somewhere in their videos, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that creators will get – if there is actual money to be made or if people think that they can actually build audiences with this, people will. That's the thing because I remember reading like sometime over the past month, I think Addison Ray went over to a TikTok competitor that obviously doesn't have nearly as many follower or p- built-in audience as TikTok. Right. I think Charlie D'Amelio did too. And they're not like permanently migrating there, but they're being paid right. to try it out basically. So I think that to your exact point, yes, because Snap is paying money, there are going to be content creators that will be like, okay, well, that's no <laughs> – what's the phrase? Skin off my bones? <laughs> Skin off my nose. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, might as well, because that's kind of the the hustle at this point. The music licensing thing that you brought up, that to me seems like an issue. Because <laughs> that's like uh, every every other platform is really cracking down on music use mm-hmm. right now. Twitch just recently got in so much hot water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it will come for Snap, right? I mean, they have some things because of Musical.ly, but yeah, they've had to agree to some licensing terms. It's not there yet. The the fact that they are a Chinese company has really helped insulate that, them from that, but it won't be that forever. I think you, also, you meant TikTok. You said Snap. Uh, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean Snap. I meant TikTok. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but that's something it's it's going to come to to TikTok, right? Like, also side note, really interesting how uh, the whole government case against TikTok doesn't really seem to exist anymore. Yeah, we forgot about that, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Just, just, I mean, just saying. To that, yeah. Speaking to that, it is as, assuming that the whole government case against TikTok comes back. Snap, obviously, in a great position. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, that that we've forgotten about that. I think <laughs> that was last month's news. <laughs> right. Well, no. I mean, it was, it was supposed to be something they had like a hard deadline this yeah. month, and it it didn't happen. And they even like their lawyers even reached out. And were like, guys, is this still a thing? And and from what I understand, the Trump administration just like didn't respond. Oh, so, which to me really does just give complete credence to what my you know initial gut feeling was, which was regardless of how realistic you think any of these you know complaints are mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I'm I'm actually on the side that I think that they're completely overblown but but let's let's say you actually do think that there are legitimate problems and and whatnot the whole reason for the you know investigation and and the stuff to take place was was purely political mm-hmm. and had nothing to do with with security at all because if it did have to do with security you wouldn't drop the ball you know absolutely not I think combination of political and then also just attention because what gets more headlines than TikTok and our terrible president <laughs> combined. Right. 
Yeah, totally. But I mean, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see like if that Oracle deal even winds up going through or if this whole thing just was like yeah. a waste of everyone's time and money, except for the lawyers who will, of course, get paid. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's interesting um, from your perspective, because you're I mean, I'm now technically younger than you, but, you know, yeah. you're, you're you, you work with more Gen Z people than I do. What is your take? I mean, TikTok just seems to have so much momentum. But do you do you think that Snap has an opportunity to win people back? Yeah, that's a hard question for me to answer, actually, just because I aged out of the Snap demographic. And for me, personally, on a personal as a 30 year old, you wouldn't understand this, Christina, because you are my junior now. Um, Exactly. For me, it's a dead app. (laughs) And I know we've like made we made fun of like the snap christmas party or something last year but then also this year there were stories about snap actually doing quite well with investors so it's clearly not a dead app my perspectives of it are flawed no i I was gonna say like i've I've been the one who's been leading the charge that their their stock is up like i have to give them kudos for that and i don't like evan spiegel at all um he called my friend jp old and jp is younger than his wife so (gasps) screw you evan spiegel like honestly like seriously but like like you're gonna have to bleep this but like that guy but i do have to give them credit because the the stock is up and they've they've made some you know they had the disastrous redesign they've come back from that and and i think they're in a good place um you know the uh the the stock is up uh, let me see like yeah, I mean it. It it's uh it's fifty two week low was seven eighty nine a year ago, and it's now at at forty four dollars. Wow. So it's it's gone up tremendously in the last year. Um, so you know, good for them. But uh, I do kind of wonder, like you, I'm not, I don't ever go on it, and and I, I, but yet I do spend time on TikTok, right? Like that's yeah. the weird thing. The impression I get from Snapchat is that it is still firmly the domain of the youths. And that's obviously something that is helpful mm-hmm. to them at the if they're if they're going this route. Um, I do think they are in a better position than any other social network to cop TikTok's mechanics, um, as we've seen with Reels. Like I, I don't know, in, Instagram's never gonna you know fail because they're it's so big, it's such a huge platform. But Reels just doesn't feel as organic as TikTok. Um, I think Snapchat, just because it is already about short form videos, I think it's in a better position to to cop this mechanic. Um, I agree. The place to go back to another question, question mark, TikTok's algorithm absolutely rocks. Mm -hmm. Just from my initial uses of the app, which I haven't spent that much time in, but I've spent a bit of time in it, did the whole like, hey, what topics are you interested in? And more so than any other social network, just from filling out that classic questionnaire that we've all done a million times. Oh, yeah, I like home decor. I like dogs. It serves the goods. Its algorithm is ridiculously good. So powerful. Um, So and, and I know that's going to be kind of one of the main methods of discoverability with Snapchat spotlights because they don't have a search function. Um, their algorithm will probably not be as good as TikToks because I've never seen an algorithm like TikToks. No, and I agree with that. And I, I can just say from my experience, kind of like browsing through the app, like TikTok really does get to know like what you do and what you like, whereas Snow, so far Spotlight seems to be kind of indiscernible and just showing me kind of random things and doesn't really seem to have any kind of theme around it. Whereas TikTok, 
seems to get me pretty accurately. It's always right? learning. It's always it is always learning. It, exactly. Because it's kind of like, you know, Instagram's is pretty good too in, in, insofar as Instagram's is good in that it shows you more of the stuff you've been looking at and maybe makes you feel bad about yourself. It makes you realize you follow far too many supermodels uh, or, excuse me, <laughs> oh. you know, Insta models because this era, the supermodel is dead, if we're honest. Uh, but like, you know, too many of those people on uh, Instagram. And, and so basically your whole account is nothing but like pretty blonde women and babies, but <laughs> which which is like what mine is. But, um, you know, TikTok really seems to get to know your weird stuff that you like and then also has serendipitous surprises. Mm-hmm. Snapchat so far doesn't seem personalized in any way, but I'm I'm interested to seeing if they change that. And yeah. and I will say, you know, uh, as somebody who used to work on Snapchat stories a bit, there is something to be said about maybe even having that curated element that could be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I do agree with you. I think that the TikTok algorithm is just is just so hot. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for for all of our misgivings about the company, the algorithm is just is just badass and is just a work of of art, frankly. We salute and the algorithm. We do. We do. So I guess we'll see. But I, I don't know. I think that this is interesting. I will say I personally am of the opinion that that Snap has a better chance at nailing the interaction and whatnot than what than with what Instagram whatever the hell Instagram is doing with the reels, right? Yep. Like I, I definitely feel like Instagram has dropped the ball on that. Like back when, when when Kevin and Mike were running Instagram, I feel like Instagram could have copied TikTok pretty well. New guy, I don't think really cares the same way. So I I gotta say, if anybody's gonna be the you know the the B team, you know the runner up to TikTok's dominance, I I think that it might be Snap in this context. Yep, I totally agree. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom. Woohoo! Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, they'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. Agree. With real uni- user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience. Where are they all going? You're going to find out. You can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, the device, the platform they use. There are so many choices, you guys. You want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website so that you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. My mouth is so dry. Hang on, guys. Mmm. Tastes like pingdom. Delicious. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from pingdom. Head on over to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code ROCKET at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. That is again pingdom.com slash RelayFM for the trial and the code ROCKET at checkout for 30% off. Thank you so much to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and Relay FM. Mmm. Water. 
Imagine. Imagine drinking water. I'd like to give a little update on the uh, coffee cup. It's happening right now in Blaseball. We're recording this on a Tuesday. The uh, weekly Blaseball coffee cup tournament is happening. I am being destroyed. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I <laughs> the the uh, data witches have been going up against the Atletico for the pat for these like set of uh, three wins. They are two two each, and every time I bet on one, the other one wins. <laughs> and you would think that I would learn <laughs> to not change my stupid bet. <laughs> But I did it every single time. And every single time the team I didn't bet on won. What does that tell you about me? Please. Um, that, that You should not bet on Simone? I don't know. Don't bet on Simone. Do the opposite of whatever I say. So Atletico are losing. They're only losing by one right now. They were losing worse earlier. However, the other match between the Macchiato and the Decaf, the Macchiato, who I bet on, lost... Six to sixteen. So, just just putting that out there. I'm sad. Anyway, enough about that. Someone else who's also in trouble. <laughs> Holy cow! When Christina sent me this story, I couldn't believe it. There has it's been nuts, right? It's pretty nuts. There's been some drama happening over there in Santa Clara County. Apple's head of global security. A couple people in the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office and a local business owner have been indicted um, for exchanging bribes for concealed gun permits. Basically, what happened is the undersheriff, Rick Sung, among other things, uh, was accused of deliberately holding back four concealed carry weapons permits for Apple's security team until... Apple agree and Apple by Apple, I mean, of course, the head of global security, who's the person involved in this, uh, agreed to donate 200 iPads <laughs> to the sheriff's office. Um, and then there's some other uh, other thing, other things involved as well. But Christina, can you sh- please shed some light on what the heck is happening here? Yeah, I mean, so this seems like your standard bribery case where the sheriff's department was taking these concealed um, carry weapon licenses and which how you can get those varies by jurisdiction. And I guess in Santa Clara County, it you know, California typically is harder than some other states like Florida, where I think you can basically just like walk into like I think you just have to fill out a form and you get one. Like I don't think there's really much, you know, process at all. Um, and, and, and other, but but some states, you know, have more rigorous components. And um, it seems like the sheriff's department in, in Santa Clara County was like, okay, we're going to withhold these and not give them out unless you basically bribe us and give us a quid give us uh, pro stuff. quo. Give us a quid uh, pro quo. And it seems like, you know, uh, the Apple security chief was just one of uh, a number of of high profile people who were kind of ensnared in this. Um, But as the indictment kind of makes clear and as like the prosecutor makes clear, it's like, okay, obviously the the real crime is is going to be, you know, the sheriff's department who is basically saying we are withholding and refusing to, um, I guess, you know, issue or or process these requests and these permits until you do something for us. So we're holding things back. But at the same time, and, and that's obviously, uh, you know, un- unless unless you pay us, and that's obviously highly illegal and unethical. But at the same time, it's it's equally unethical to be a party to that bribery and to be like, okay, 
I'm going to go ahead and play ball with you. Here's $70,000 worth of iPads. Please give me and my employees Frankly, the permits that we wanted. Frankly, you are the head of security at Apple, like the other person involved in this is an insurance broker. And apparently he, I'll say allegedly just in case, although I think it might not be allegedly, um, the sheriff, the undersheriff, got a promise from him to get luxury box suites at a Sharks game on Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. Um, ooh, romantic. Uh, and, and this guy's just an insurance broker. Okay. if you're, But if you're the head of security at Apple, surely you have some sort of recourse if the sheriff is blackmailing you. Not blackmailing. That's not the right word. If the sheriff is bribing you. Surely there's some way that you, as a person who is head of security at a billion-dollar organization... Trillion. got to be a trillion-dollar organization. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> Although, I mean, I guess on that to that point, $75,000 worth of iPads is not a lot. Right. I, mean, I was going to say, I mean, that's the whole thing. And, and it does seem like, at least from the indictment, and all this is alleged right now, this is obviously, you know, hasn't gone to court, and, and the... Um, uh, I will I will say that the, the security officer has his lawyer has denied these charges. But according to, you know, those those allegations, the indictment, it, it, the way that I read it is basically it was like, OK, well, we're in a situation where we need these things for whatever reason. There's some red tape in our way and this donation will help clear up the red tape. So I'm just going to go ahead and do this. Uh, and for a lot of things, you know what? I think that that makes sense. I think that when you're talking about buying like concealed carry weapons like permits and 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 bribing you know law enforcement officials i'm gonna say no right like i'm gonna say that's that's something that that in a democracy in like a a you know an ethical government we shouldn't do having said that uh thomas moyer uh his lawyer says that um uh, okay so this is from the los angeles times the Los Angeles Times writes, uh, Ed Swanson, Moyer's attorney, denied the allegations and said his client is innocent. In a statement, he called Moyer's charge collateral damage, uh, quote, collateral damage in a rivalry between the district attorney and Smith, the sheriff. According to Swanson, Apple frequently donates devices. He said the iPads offered by the company were not related to the concealed carry weapons licenses his client was seeking on behalf of other Apple employees. Mm. The pr- he says those permits were granted in March 2019 before Apple confirmed the decision to approve the donation, Swanson said by phone. Um, and, and this is a quote from Swanson. Apple applied for CCW permits the right way, Swanson said. They didn't make a bribe. They didn't get asked to make a bribe. The DA's office has just gotten it wrong with, on this one. OK, fair enough. They can play that out in the courts. Uh, I, I will say, you know, a grand jury did agree to the indictment. So this is this is beyond just, you know, they're filing charges. This is also, you know, you take it to a grand jury and, and show their evidence. And, and the grand jury has said, OK, we're going to go forward. So, mm-hmm. um you know, the, the the state obviously disagrees. I will say the one thing about that statement that rings true to me is that it does very much seem like this is a turf war between the district attorney and um, the sheriff. Mm. That's that said, that doesn't mean that this that, that the bribery didn't happen. Right. Like yeah. to me, like I think that both things can be true at once. I think that you can have a situation where it's like, yeah, this is this is happening. And also, um you know, uh, there there was a, a broader turf war thing going on. And and I don't know anything about, you know, Northern California politics, but just kind of like reading what I have been able to read about this, I would not be surprised if there was some political thing going on between the sheriff's office and the prosecutor. But that doesn't mean that the bribery still didn't happen. And at the very least, even if, if what uh, Moyer's lawyer um, says is true, at the very least, it looks bad. 
at the very least, the, the way that this looks is suspect. And um, for the sheriff's office or for Apple? For Apple. For, for, Apple. for, for the Apple. And also, I should, I should say, for the Apple employee, because hmm. I guarantee you what's going to happen if it hasn't already is that Apple will probably initially be supportive, as most companies are. But if this looks like this is going to not go in his favor or if he strikes a plea deal, Apple is going to disassociate the, for themselves from this faster than, than oh, we can sure. snape. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. So and and even and, and, and it'd be much more difficult for them to prove that he was doing this on behalf of anybody at Apple. Also, he's the head of security, right? Yeah, so it's he, he would purely have purely in his domain. Exactly. So, you know, like, unless there was, unless he wanted to go down the cook of saying, down the, the pike of being like, oh, well, Tim Cook ordered me to do that, which no one is making that allegation. And and I don't think that, that he would say that. And I, I don't think that would happen. This was his decision for whatever reason. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's, it's this, this, this person who happens to work for Apple who might have been using, you know, his role to try to grease the wheels. Certainly, it does make you kind of, even, even if, even if all the bribery stuff is wrong, there is this sort of weird, I don't know, me anyway thing where it's like, oh, the fact that you're the chief security officer for this big company gives you more sway, at least on the surface, it looks like, to yeah. contact the sheriff's office. Like, let's just say there wasn't a bribery involved. Yeah. But to contact the sheriff's office and be like, hey, some of my employees want these things. What can we do? You know what I mean? Like, at the very least... And look, we all know that's how the world works, but this makes it pretty blatant that that some people mm-hmm. have more direct access to things than others do. Do you think that it could turn out more poorly for him if it is shown that they they did like do all the correct application paperwork for the permits versus like having tried to get around it, or is it bribery either way? It's, I mean, I think it's bribery either way. I think that if it might work out better for him if it's showing we went through the proper things, but if there's a paper trail anywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere of of it of him of, of it being like an apparent you know quid um, pro quo thing, then then he's in trouble. Yeah. Um. So obviously, I think it would be better for his defense if he's saying we filed everything the right way and you don't have any proof that the reason that these were approved was because we gave this stuff and it just happened to be a coincidence. I think it, I think it would look God, worse. you would really think that it, that paper trail would be so easy. <laughs> I, just because, I, I don't know, I'm imagining, because a, a, a company donating that, donating 200 iPads wouldn't be like, love head security chief Stephen Moyer. It would be like, Tim Cook, peace. Apple loves you. Here, ha- enjoy iPads for the the sheriff's department. Like, you would think that that would be an easy question to answer. Like, did they come from him or did they not? Right. No. I mean, and that is an interesting thing. I mean, I think that like the way that it, that it works at Microsoft anyway, and I can't speak for how it would work at Apple, but usually how it works at these places is that okay, if you've got this this stuff. Um, if you're going to be issuing some sort of donation, then it's it's coming as a gift through the the finance you know committee or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there 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 is still like an app because it's still going to be on the books with Apple someplace, right? So it's gone through someone. It's been approved when you give stuff in kind or when you offer stuff as a gift because you're writing it off on your your taxes on your numbers. Like you're you're writing down that revenue. So there would be a paper trail there that would that would show what that was for. And I assume that what they'll look for in discovery would be. 
okay, prove to us that this went through the typical acquisition and donation process. Mm -hmm. Show us that this was approved by the right people, that there is documentation to back up why this stuff was approved. And this wasn't something that you just kind of were like, okay, we need to get this done and I'm going to, you know, grease the wheels and do what I need to do. Uh, So what's actually funny is that we do uh, this annual thing um, at at Microsoft called Standards of Business Conduct. And we have this this training and you have to watch like an hour of videos and they're incredibly high production values. And and, uh, the last um, uh, three years, which is how long I've been at the company, it's all been part of the same storyline. And this year they had to kind of bring, you know, remote work into it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the last three years, I mean, it was very much like House of Cards, like Netflix style. And I'm not even joking when I say the production <laughs> values on this are like a Netflix show. Like we're talking like really good cinematographers, good actors, good other stuff. And the whole thing is basically looking at these kind of questionable business decisions and ethical things that people might face day to day. You know, there's this this really dumb guy who keeps making bad um, uh, decisions about how he's storing customer data uh, to do certain stuff. And then he's like trying to cover it up and kind of lie to his boss. And his name is Nelson. And like at the end of one of the the, the series, like you voted on whether Nelson was going to be fired or, or stay employed. And, oh. um, you know, it, 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 but it's a whole thing. But it, I, I think about that when I'm reading this, because I'm like, this is literally out of the the you know, the, the standards of business conduct series, which is they had a whole thing about um, actually about like uh, some uh, government official from some country um, and, and looking like they were bribing him because they invited him to a Seahawks game and they were like in the box. And of course they show this at the stadium and in one of the boxes and whatnot. And, 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 you know, that became kind of like one of those things to try to make you think about, because that's, that's the whole point of this exercise is to make people think about, mm-hmm. are these things ethical? Are they being done the right way? Has this been um, vetted the, the right way? And, and so, and obviously the, this guy, I think, before he took over security, he was actually the head compliance officer, meaning that he very much knows the right and the wrong things to do. So if he is innocent, I would definitely hope that he has all of his paperwork in check because he, of all people, knows what paperwork he needs to make sure something is compliant. Well said. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Set App. There's an app for everything these days. Some of them are excellent, and others not so much. A great way to discover new quality apps and get all the tools you need to be successful and productive is by using SetApp, a subscription for Mac apps. SetApp packs over 200 apps into one. There's an app for almost any task so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. And now you can take your projects to your iPhones and iPads. I have one of those with support for iOS companion apps for your apps for your Mac favorites like Ulysses, ToDo, and TaskHeat. SetApp has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps. Christina, is that like your dream job? Totally. Okay. I, honestly, yeah, this would be my dream job. I'm not even. I'm not even lying. Like to be able to pick what apps to to just to be like, able to fuss around with apps all day, test uh-huh. them for productivity. Anyway, that means you don't have to spend time searching for great tools because other people are doing it for you. It's such great value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate app licenses, you pay just one flat monthly fee. New apps are added regularly, updates are free, and all the apps are their full featured pro versions. Head over to setapp.com to try setapp free for a week. And if you like it, pay just $9.99 per month for as long as it's useful to you. And it will be. 
it will be useful to you. Once again, go to setapp.com to see how it fits into your workflow. Our thanks to SetApp for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Yes, and uh, uh, my unlike sponsored part of this plug because I actually do use SetApp all the time. It's one of my favorites. They have a lot of really good apps, um, in, including Ulysses, as Simone mentioned, um, uh, PDF Pen, which is an app that we hey. talk about a lot on this show. Um, uh, there is also an app called Tables um, uh, Plus, which is a really good um, like MySQL and, and SQLite and, and Postgres uh, editor. Mars Edit is there. Um, a default folder X, uh, Bartender. There are so many good ones. So um, there, Tech Soap. There are a lot of apps that I've paid for over the years. Better Touch Tool that um, I definitely worth checking out, especially now that it also has like the, the iOS apps built into you it. You basically too. do so. work for them because you've tested all of these apps. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of not true. literally because they're a sponsor. Not Anyway. Yeah, no, I just happen to be, I just happen to be like a very happy <laughs> independent user, like, like independent of this. I'm, I happen Christina to be just a very happy user. Apps. Who would have expected it of you? <laughs> Here is our dessert for the week. So Polygon, based on a, a, a comment that was made in Slack many weeks ago, as so many things are, um, our entertainment team put together a horse girl package. We created a list of the horse girl canon. So all of the books and films and TV shows that we consider to be part of the horse girl canon. Um, We wrote a bunch of stories about how Aragorn is a horse girl from Susanna Polo. Uh, We got Lisa Hanawalt from Tuca and Birdie, the creator of Tuca and Birdie, to write about her relationship with horses because she was a horse girl as well. And now she's a horse woman. Um, But she like made making Tuca and Birdie one of her goals. And she also made buy a horse one of her goals. And she's accomplished both of those goals. And so she drew some art. Uh, she's drawn some art about achieving that goal of becoming a horse owner. In this day and age, who can imagine? And I did a bunch of stuff. I wrote a, a list of tropes, like popular horse tropes that make the horse girl canon. I interviewed the director of the new Black Beauty movie that's coming out on Disney Plus this month. Um, what else did I do? I interviewed uh, <laughs> so many works, the executive, like the vice president of Briar Horses to find out how Briar Horses, which are the uh, plastic horse models that are so, so good, how they're made. I did a bunch of stuff. And in putting all of my horse girl energy out into the universe, I caused Christina Warren to have a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so backing up, before even this content came out, what I guess it was like two weeks ago, you did an article for Polygon about whether the horses in Assassin's Creed Valhalla were historically accurate or not. Heck yeah, I did. Amazing. And you talked to an actual horse expert, which I thought was a horse historian, which I thought was amazing. And and then and there I learned actually that most of the horses that are used in movies and TV are boring horses. I don't remember the type now, uh, but but are apparently not even like the best type of horses you can get. They just look pretty, so people use them. They're so and pretty. That, Frisians is the type. Frisians, Frisians, yes. And that most people like, it, but they're not historically accurate and, and all the things that are wrong with that. So I learned a lot about that, but I'm not a horse girl. I've never been a horse girl. Uh, my friends who were horse girls, I would just like politely and like, 
quietly to myself, roll my eyes at them. You know what I mean? Like I, I would listen to them talk about their stuff, but I just, I was like, I'm not a horse girl. I, I don't think I've ever, I've been on a horse like twice in my life. I've never actually ridden a horse more than, you know, probably like pony rides, honestly, not my thing. Uh, and then yet I was very intrigued and went down a whole rabbit hole of Frisians and, and horses in media because of your post. And then the horse girl canon series is a just beautifully designed and presented i have to give the art director massive props and then reading all the descriptions of the different types of media and then your interview with the rare people and some of the other stuff like i'm so mad at you because i i've I've cared more (laughs) about horses in the last you know however many articles of yours i've had to read than i ever have in my entire life i'm so mad can i interrogate what was it that were you actively off put by horses or was it just like this isn't my cup of tea yeah it's just not my cup of tea like i've never actively okay like okay i had like my little pony i guess when i was really Mm -hmm. really little and i remember that i stuck one of the they had like these little stacking um uh like donuts that you could you know put together that were a little miniature Mm -hmm. and there was a green one that was super super tiny i remember sticking that one up my nose and we were able (laughs) to get it out without me going to the hospital Unlike the macaroni and cheese where I did have to go to the hospital because uh, so much of it got stuck up in my navel, nasal cavities, nasal cavities, nasal cavities, but that's a, I was two. Anyway, so like I had a couple of my little ponies and I remember liking them because they smelled good, but I didn't care that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, this just never wasn't interesting to me, to be honest. I think yeah. also I grew up in the suburbs and people who were way richer than us had horses but that wasn't a common thing. And yeah, some people did go to horse camp, but it was just, to be totally honest, you know, I didn't like the smell of manure or of horses and any of that stuff. And I was just like, I'm, I, I'd rather stay inside and not like be outside where it's hot and mm-hmm. things smell. So I think that was my whole thing. That's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's one of the the things that came up in my conversations with the horse historian, uh, Professor Donna Landry, and then also in the horse canon list that I made is this question of wealth and horse ownership. Yes. And one of the things that really struck me from my conversation with Professor Landry was um, she talked about walking being politicized in the 19th century, like in mm-hmm. a class way. And I was like, oh, are you are, are you implying that only wealthy people owned horses? And she was like, no, actually, at that time and all throughout history up until I think our modern age, anyone could have a horse because that was your animal that you used to like pull your cart to town. It was what you used to plow the fields. It was what these, if you have read or watched Black Beauty, these like poor carriage drivers who lived in London would have a little stable in London where they kept horses and horses were not a symbol of wealth. Up until now, when obviously, like, lessons are pretty expensive, um, there's definitely a geographic component. Uh, Like, you living in the suburbs was different from me living in small-town Port Townsend. I think we still had to drive 30 or 40 minutes to take me to my riding lessons every week, but we did it. Um, Right. And owning a horse is ridiculously expensive, to say nothing of competing with your horse, which is just tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so it's really become something that a lot of people don't have access to. Um, I think Ashley Avis, the director of Black Beauty, she said in conversation, I have, I don't have the source on this statistic, but she said she had read that something like 2% of 
people in this country will interact with a horse in their lives, which seems ridiculous and like also so sad because horses are great. But um, but yeah, I, I can totally see how growing up it 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 could just be something that is just like not a not attainable and b not interesting. Um, yeah, I was the opposite. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You were interested in it, and then you were able to. Now, did you own a horse, or did you just take lessons? I never or? owned a horse. I took lessons for several years. Um, I I don't remember what age I started. I don't think I took lessons past middle school. Um, but right. I did horse camp in the summer, and that was great. Um, but yeah, I was I was always interested in them from even first grade before I had even taken horse lessons i don't know i do know what drew me to them they're so pretty and they're so strong and they're so great um so it was really great to explore some of these old books and movies that i had loved just absolutely adored when i was a kid no yeah well this is what was so interesting to me because even though again like i'm not a horse girl and it wasn't even like again like i said it's not that i hated it i just wasn't into it and i did have friends who were horse girls i had some friends who owned horses who were like they're really rich friends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, our friends, our friends at the country club who might, and and then like my, my school friends who maybe took lessons or like went to camp, but it just wasn't my thing. Um, but I realized like looking through the media listing, like how many of the horse girl media things I did actually consume mm. and were kind of part of my life, even though they weren't things that I necessarily like were drawn to the same way. Like I've seen national velvet i don't know how many times and i don't even you know i've seen little elizabeth taylor like god only knows right and and you know you've seen you know the black stallion and black beauty all the different iterations of that a movie i'd absolutely forgotten about until i read the thing that you wrote about was wild hearts can't be broken oh my god that scarred me for freaking life dude and i'd forgotten about this movie where you know the girl goes blind from Doing what, frankly, I feel like was even as a little kid, because I remember watching it when I was like seven or eight years old and feeling very strongly that what they were doing to the horses was pretty inhumane and like messed up. Yeah. But also, but, but also being like very upset that like she went blind. Mm hmm. So Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. If you're not a horse girl, you might have missed this one. It uh, is a Disney movie that, as you pointed out on Twitter, did briefly run in theaters <laughs> um, about a circus dive which jumper. I didn't know which to be clear I, I had to look that up because I only saw it on the Disney channel I had no idea it was ever in theaters so yeah, I, I think I also only saw it on Disney channel she's a circus dive jumper in the 30s which basically means she stands on top of a huge diving board a horse runs up a big ramp she jumps on the horse's back and the horse jumps off the diving board into the pool uh already inhumane it was the 30s a different right? time Um, However, the whole climax of the movie is like she she's doing a jump on a different horse from usual and he stumbles and she forgets to close her eyes and her retinas detach when she jumps into the pool and she goes blind. Uh, But fortunately, she continues doing this ridiculous sport for 11 more years. Um, And it's a true story. So that's cool. Um, Did you mostly absorb this media through your horse girl friends, do you think? Or was it just something you... You did through friends. Yeah, I think it was through friends. And then there were some things that just were girl culture. Like there and that's what's mm-hmm. interesting about this, I think, is that and obviously like there can be horse boys, whatever, but it really is a girl thing. And and I think that a lot of this, especially like growing up in the nineties, a lot of these media things were just part of girl media. You know, and I'm talking about like the saddle 
uh, club or whatever and and some of the other things. There were just things that, like, also, like, Lisa Frank is not mentioned in the canon, although I think that it should be, because I do feel like Ooh. Lisa Frank is actually a pretty Good freaking point. Because <laughs> I do feel like Lisa Frank is a pretty important aspect of horse girl culture because of both the the imagery and the fantasy element and the colors and whatnot. And yep. I, honestly, I really do think that's a big part of it. But like, you know, the Felicity books, because we all had American Girl dolls and the the the, the Saddle Club, which I, I never read those, but I had friends who did. I was like, this is a a babysitter's club knockoff and it is right like it, it's completely a babysitter's club knockoff you you know what happened is that somebody saw the success of babysitter's club and they were like let's do that but horses <laughs> and 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 um but you know there was those things and um and i remember like even some like the sweet valley high and sweet valley um twins books like lila fowler who was the best character in the entire series was very rich and had a horse and she was a horse girl at least how they described her in like the younger books not in the the sweet valley high like you know mm-hmm. real books um and so i but but i do think like and then my, my next door neighbors were i don't think they were ever like full-on horse girls but they were pretty close Ooh. and and so i spent a bunch of my time over at their house until they moved away when i was 10 and so by osmosis i also had like girls who were way more into watching you know, movies with horses and, and media like that. So I think that's where I got it. But I also think sometimes because people would just play them at, at sleepovers and stuff, you yeah, know, these were just Black Beauty into the VCR. Boom. Exactly. Like, like, again, like I think that was interesting about this and I didn't ever associate this until I read this um, series and it really made me start to kind of dissect my own childhood is that I do think that even though like, again, not a horse girl, but I do feel like, especially for those of us who grew up in the 90s, uh, there's a lot of, um, horse girl that is intertwined with girl culture and yes. what it's like to be a girl growing up uh, in, in that time period. Definitely. And I, I do feel like there, as you said, there are so many classic movies and things that we had access to or that came about when we were kids. And there's definitely still horse content being made. Like the My Little Pony series was relatively recently the new one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be a new Briar Horse series that actually Ashley Avis is a showrunner for. But I do feel like those, like, feature films that are just about a person and their horse, there are not as many as there used to be. (laughs) Um, and I think part of that is due to the fact that there are less feature films than there used to be. But yep. um, well, and it's expensive to do these things yeah. with with with, you know, horses and, and to do things the right way. And um, and it's interesting you bring up like the, you know, My Little Pony, you know, like Friendship is Magic. I think that's actually a really interesting thing because that, you know, bronies became the story of that. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting about that was that although there were definitely it became much like I'm not going to say much more inclusive, but definitely more people than just, you know, um ironic and then later less ironic you know like 4chan dudes became interested in the show the people who really drove a lot of that fandom were not girls Mm -hmm. and and i think that that also kind of changes how this stuff is created around it Um, i'm gonna try to find it but there but there was a really interesting youtube video that i watched recently it was like an hour long and it was from the creator i'd I'd never seen before but she was like she's awesome she was like a, a horse girl when she was growing up and she was a really diehard My Little Pony fan when she was younger and then was one of the few, like, females who was 
aware and, and even sort of a, a mini celebrity in in the Brony uh, in the My Little Pony um, uh, space, and she did kind of a retrospective of the last um, uh, BronyCon, and um, it was it was really um, it was really good. Uh, uh, Jenny Nicholson, mm. um, and she yeah she did the thing called the Phantom oh, yeah. Autopsy. And it, it, it's it's really good. It's like, it's over an hour long, so I'll warn you guys about that now. But I actually, somebody who never really paid any attention to that fandom at all, um, I thought that it was really good. And it kind of makes me think about this conversation we're having because her entry point to the fandom really started with the older series that she was into when she was younger because she was a horse girl. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I think that you're right. Not as many live-action movies. I think that... Um, and it just, you know, the changing nature of some of those spaces. It is interesting, though, that in weird ways, and I, I'd be curious on your take on this as a horse girl and as a video game person, if you've noticed that the shift in media has gone from movies to video games. You know, I have not devoted thought about this, uh, thought to this specific question, but you saying it does sound right to me because there are, I mean, aside from there being horses that are more personalized in games mm-hmm. like Red Dead Redemption 2 and Legend yep. of Zelda like those horses have stats and you right. you catch them in a very specific way that kind of makes you have a unique story with that horse um there are also browser games that are very active I, I'm actually part of a Facebook group that plays a bunch of you know not these aren't AAA horse games. They're just like kind of uh, Star Stable Online is one of them, I believe. And House, H O W R S E, is one of them. Um, and there's a big community of people on Facebook that are just really excited about playing video games where they have horses. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely think that you're right that that is where a content or that's a, a place that a contingent of horse girls have aged into, as well as horse boys. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I I loved that because I was not even aware that this was a thing. That but there's a link in the in the piece to the um, hobby horse um, community, which is apparently a real thing. Where in Finland, like there are actual huge competitions of like twelve year old girls who prance around on hobby horses or you know like the the horse heads on like sticks. You know yes. that you had when you were a little kid, and it's like apparently massive subculture there, uh, which. I I kind of love honestly. It's very good. <laughs> like I I I and I was I I had no clue that that was even a thing and um I'm like I I I think that's awesome. So mm-hmm. uh, we we spent a lot of time talking about your 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 story here, but I I think uh it was really good content. Like Thank you so but, much. I sent it to a lot of my friends and who are like not in, in our group chat and like we were talking about everybody was really impressed by it. And it was just one of those things where I was like, holy shit, like you can tell how much work went into it. But also maybe you think a lot about my childhood and about girlhood and about uh, fandom and culture and and pieces of media and uh, just well done. Like, thank you so much. And I want to shout out uh, Susanna Polo, who uh, basically helmed the package Um wrote a lot of the pieces and wrangled all of the freelance stuff, including pieces from Sean and McGuire and from Lisa Hannawalt. And then Matt Patches, our entertainment editor, who also, you know, was basically the person who said, hey, stop talking about horses in Slack and write about horses in chorus, <laughs> which is something yeah. he does often. Stop talking about them in Slack and write it in chorus. 
Um, but in, in this case, like it all came together with the amazing art from James Barham and the rest of the box um, art team. So yay. So cool. Can, can you tell me anything interesting that you learned about Frisians in your risk? I, I think that's, I want to just go really, really quickly before we sure. wrap this up. Cause we've talked about it forever. Um, Rachel Syme on Twitter the other day was saying that she like one of her Sunday traditions is to devote her Sunday to just picking a thing that she's vaguely interested in and doing a huge deep dive on it and just mm-hmm. learning everything she can about it. Um, and I think that's a really cool idea. That's awesome. Yeah, I do. And it kind of sounds that like that's almost what you did with being like, huh, Frisians are the go-to horse for every movie. Let me learn about them. Is there anything <laughs> interesting that came out of that deep dive for you? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, and and I, I, without realizing that that was like a thing, because I don't make it a conscientious thing, like that's just, that's how my brain works is mm-hmm. that I will find something. I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about that. Let me learn about it. And I just never thought that I would go through that. But I, I thought it was interesting. I think the 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 feet, I think of, 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 of Frisia's the hooves or whatever, because I've never given that any thought. And kind of reading some of the, um, I guess, kind of discourse about, you know, people get really particular about the hooves. Uh, with, with Frisians and how they judge their beauty, which I thought was sort of interesting. Wow. Um, but, um, and, and just the, the horse stuff in general, but I was just really kind of like blown away, but I was like, okay, what is the historically accurate thing here? And mm-hmm. like, why is this being used? And why is this just kind of the go-to? And um, it, it's, it's interesting too, um, the regional variances, I guess, right? Because mm-hmm. you have like quarter horses and, and other things, which you see a lot of as well. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just, I just thought that, um, yeah, I, I, I never, I never really knew anything about like what this, this breed was or, or why it was or wasn't a thing. And, um, by reading the thing about Frisians, I then went down this like rabbit hole of like other horse breeds and started like noticing the differences in horses, which I'd never paid any attention to before, you know, things like, again, like how their hooves look and how their hair is and what their tails, their manes, like, you know what I mean? Like just stuff that I've never cared anything about. And I was like, I was like, oh, this is stuff you would need to think about if you were designing the game around it, or if you're really into this, you would get mad about it. Uh, final question, because I saw this a little bit on Twitter, and it seemed like it was an omission by choice, not by accident. But I noticed that Tina Belcher is not anywhere in the in in the canon. Is was there a reason for that? I don't know because I I'm not a Bob's Burgers person. I watched a bit of it. Um, I don't remember her ever coming up in conversation when we were planning it. It may have been just that we didn't think about it. <laughs> um, I know she is a horse girl, but I don't necessarily yes. know that I would call Bob's Burgers a horse girl show. Yeah, no, and, and, and you're exactly right. It's not. But it is sort of interesting because I do feel like, um, you know, because Pen15, you know, you, you make reference to that and some of the things and whatnot. But like uh, Tina Belcher is... Like one hundred percent a horse girl, and I feel like it. It feels like a realistic um, representation of at least for someone who is not a horse girl but had horse girl friends. It does feel like a realistic interpretation of that girl who it's like, okay, you're fourteen now and you're still really into this, and we all like you because we're your friend, but we're kind of side eyeing you and being like, dude, this is kind of weird. I think that yeah, that's one hundred percent. Like the thing is. Tina Belcher is a real horse girl and very authentic, but the horse girls in media are like Mackenzie Foy in the new Black right. Beauty movie, who, if you've seen her in the Nutcracker in the Four Kingdoms or whatever that movie was, she's like ridiculously perfect looking. 
Right. Um, and she has beautiful flowing brown hair. <laughs> like that's that's the ideal horse girl in media. Um, oh, yeah. Well, well the, who the ideal horse girl in media is, I'm just going to be totally honest and you're, people are going to groan, but it's true, it's is me. Georgina Bloom. It's, it's both <laughs> you, but it's also it's also Georgina Bloomberg. Oh, like Bloom, literal Bloomberg's. Yes. Oh. Yes. So so her baby daddy is was a famous um, uh, jockey. She was very into horses and did riding on the professional circuit and whatnot. Like basically, yep. you know, she didn't go to college. I don't think. I think she just did horseback riding and competitions and whatnot. And if you Google her, she looks exactly like the perfect, yeah. like like horse girl, like like uh, you know, brown hair, very you know, slight features. Like she's just like the antithesis of like the very wealthy, very rich girl, like horse girl, like. 100 percent the antithesis or the epitome uh, she's the epitome like of yeah. what like the of like the rich like you know like ideal thing like she was a, you know a professional equestrian like that was a thing that that she did um and actually no she did go to nyu uh but it's the gallatin school so you know um <laughs> there are a lot of pictures of her with horses on google thank you for yeah, leading also- me down this road yeah totally um and 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 she um she graduated from college like well after like when her peers did so i think that that was just one of those things like that they like okay we have to do this but no she was like on the you know united states equestrian team she a jockey you know was her baby daddy like you know she's very much like that high like elite Mm -hmm. kind of thing so when when i think of like epitome like high high level like horse girl like what you're saying like from black beauty yeah that's that's georgina bloomberg yeah so all right we've talked enough about horse girls Christina, why don't you tell me what you're doing this week? Well, it's Thanksgiving, and um, I'm not able to be with my family, and I'm not able to be at a restaurant, and I'm not able to be anywhere because of the pandemic and wanting to be safe and whatnot. So instead, I'm going to be celebrating my thanks with uh, Disney Plus and one Miss uh, <laughs> Miss Taylor Allison Swift because. Just as she surprised us all by launching the best album of 2020, Folklore. In uh, at the end of July, she also announced. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. She announced that she's dropping a folklore uh, concert film on Disney Plus Wednesday the twenty fifth at midnight. Um, so in a couple of hours, and I am ridiculously excited because uh, it is now cold enough for it to be folklore weather. Because you know it's, you are it's- so right about this. Mm-hmm. You are so right. It was a good summer album. But I think it's going to be an even better winter album. It really is, right? Because it, it has red vibes and like red is like, mm-hmm. you know, like the best fall album. But it has hardcore red vibes. And it, it I think in some ways will be even better. And, uh, you know, apparently I, I think uh, Bon Iver, uh recorded with her. So she's going to do the entire album. She's going to do all 17 tracks, including the bonus track, which is just awesome. And apparently she's going to tell the stories about how she you know wrote the songs and whatnot. And uh, there are a few things I love more than like, a well-produced Taylor Swift concert film. And if you've seen the the Netflix reputation tour thing, it's almost as good as actually been at the concert. Uh, and, it, you know, she does one hell of a show. But I think to see this with this album uh, in these times, like, I'm I'm super stoked. And as as uh, Jezebel wrote, and, and I, I loved them for this because it was dead on, they're like, if there's one thing Taylor knows how to do, it is how to, like, you know, get her coin. And... <laughs> 
And she, she, you know, signed like she's had deals at this point, I think, with all the streaming services. Now it's Disney Plus's turn. She's been on Netflix. She's been on um, Apple. She's been on Amazon Prime. Now she's on Netflix uh, or not Netflix. Now she's on Disney Plus. But I'm really excited about that. Also, she was nominated for six Grammys uh, today, including Album of the Year. And since Fiona Apple was not nominated for uh, for Album of the Year, which <gasps> I think was was a, was a snub, but uh, also maybe her label didn't put in the campaign. You never know with those things. Um, I don't want to get too excited yet because I could see them not giving it to her just because she's her. But I do feel like she deserves it. And so maybe maybe she'll be like get her third Grammys one this are year. Weird. I I had heard about the weekend not getting any yep. nominations. I had not heard about Fiona Apple not getting nominated for album of the year, which seems a little silly considering how just like acclaimed it is. It broke the internet for a little bit. It did. It did. Well, how how Grammys work is that it is it is almost entirely a campaign based thing. Like how much effort the artist and the label do into both for the nominations and then for the awards. And and this is what's brilliant about Taylor Swift. Her Grammy campaign for Album of the Year for 1989 was perfect. And what mm-hmm. she did there is that she had these Grammy sessions where she performed deconstructed versions of the pop songs acoustically to kind of show the power of the songwriting and the power. And then those broke the internet. And, and you know, the album had been this huge hit and she then did these personalized things. I very much read, especially if you see Miss Americana and you see that she was upset that Reputation didn't get nominated for any Grammys, but she was like, I'm going to write Lover and it's going to win these awards. And then Lover didn't get nominated for anything. And, and you know, fine. She comes out with this album, which is critically acclaimed. And then you do like this sort of concert thing. This is this is how you get Grammy voters uh. on your side when you can't when you can't go in person and schmooze them. This is this is Grammy bait, like 100 percent. And it's brilliant. She got paid for it, and she's also using it as a way to win awards, which is why yep. I stand. That's very smart. I, did, I had not uh, considered that perspective of it. But once again, Taylor impresses me. <sighs> she's so smart. Um, yeah, I'm, I won't be able to watch this because I don't have Disney+. Plus. But were you going to ask me what I'm doing this week? I was going to ask you what you're doing this week. And also, wait a minute, what do you mean you don't have Disney+. Plus? Because I don't have Disney+. Plus. That's... <sighs> This is the beginning. Of, don't, don't. By the way, my mom is so sad that uh, she can't log into my HBO Max account anymore. <laughs> Apparently, she was in the middle of watching The Undoing when we uh, did the little changeover. <sighs> well, may- maybe you can log in um, once you go home for for Christmas. Yes, and, I will have and, to help yeah. her uh, on my on my proprietary device. I will help my mother finish that Nicole Kidman series. Um. What am I doing this week? Uh, I am also having a, a home Thanksgiving. Um, I had been hoping to be able to go visit my family in New Hampshire, and I got a test, and I've been isolating. But um, then, well, A, the cases are just real bad everywhere. B, both of my cousins who are in college got exposed to COVID and were contact traced. So that sucks for them. They are okay. Uh, which is good. One of them has antibodies, which is awesome. Um, and the other one has tested negative so far, but it's just like kind of, it was a sign of like, no, I shouldn't be doing this actually. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm not doing it. Uh, I, I feel real bad for my aunt who might have to have one of her children be not there at Thanksgiving, which sucks. Um, however, I am stuck with a rental car that I, uh, stupidly. Folks, folks, if you're gonna get a rental car in the age of COVID, even mm-hmm. though 
the non-refundable option is like $100 cheaper, don't, don't, don't do, do, it. do it. Don't be like me. I have a no. car now. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, this is so frustrating. Also, check your credit card, like, options to see if they give you discounts or give you other things. Like, mm. always, always check that stuff, too. But, yeah, don't ever get the non I, I'm I'm a big like fan of not getting of always getting the refundable option because even for things that yeah. I feel like I'm guaranteed to do, it always comes back to bite me. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, however, because the mountains did open up in New York, um, and resorts are being really really careful about COVID restrictions, like they're not letting people share chairlifts. The lodges are pretty locked down. Um, because I can go skiing without leaving my state, I am going to be getting some use out of that car after all. Um, (laughs) so all is, all is fine. It's fine. Um, this is just the state of things now. Uh, so that's what I'm doing this week. I'm going to go skiing later, baby. Woohoo. Woohoo. Well, we'll enjoy that and, uh, you know, shred some, uh, some stuff. I'm going to send it. Christina, I'm going to send it. Yes. I'm going to shred. I'm going to send it. I'm going to get gnarly. Um, I hope Nate Shreds is doing okay. I really do, too, because Nate Shreds is a gift, and um, I hope he's back. Wonderful I hope he's, he's he's doing well. Yeah. Did I tell uh, you that re- he replied to my – did I show you that he replied to my comment? No, you didn't. That's I can't I can't believe Nate, Nate Shreds replied to you. That's amazing. Senpai acknowledged me. <laughs> Senpai acknowledged – exactly. Oh, and, yeah. And, and br- and Brianna, who uh, couldn't be with us because she is recovering from surgery, Bri, we wish that you are well. We're thinking of you and uh, love you. Before and, everyone uh, freaks out, it was knee surgery. Yes. Which is, like, still a big deal, but it's not like a oh, secret cancer. It's just she needed the knee. She got to get um, got to get that knee fixed. And, and, and even though she had, like, threatened to maybe come on the show, we were able to talk sense into her and be like, you don't feel good. You got- don't do it. <laughs> it's you since, this is and- the thing when you're when you have medical leave at your company and you mm-hmm. don't take it even though you need it you set a bad precedent for the other workers you at do. your company and that's you why do. it's important <laughs> that Brianna's taking the night off tonight it is it is you set a bad precedent for the rest of us because then maybe like Simone or Christina will do stupid things like did I come on the week that I got hit by the car I think you did you, yeah, you, see, this that's, is your see, fault. See, that's bad. I was gonna say, <laughs> see, that's bad. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Um, uh, the real bad thing there, though, was that hours after I got hit by the car, I went to the treehouse where we were having, like, because we were having our our work retreat, and all the women were meeting up, and there was booze there, and um, I was high on painkillers, oh, and no. then drank the booze. It was great. Um, but that's also how Allison um, Krug and I became best friends. Oh, um, yay. because. Because she, we, we, we'd been, like, joking with each other online about, like, we were going to have, like, a, um, a kind of uh, some sort of, like, com- com- competitive competition thing because we're both, like, relate to, you know, um, a Broad City a little bit too much. We were, like, we're going to be, like, Abby and, and, like, get into, like, push-up <laughs> contest. And then I show up, like, after I've been hit by the car. And she was, like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, like, with my, you know, broken wrist. And she's, like, I, I can't compete with this. Um <laughs> Here's a hot toddy. And we became like, she was like, you're hardcore. And we were like, became best friends. But in retrospect, oh. like, that was dumb of me to like, do work things and do like other stuff, like within hours of, you know, having a near death experience. Yeah. So, uh, so, so Brie, thank you for being a good example. Unlike me who like, 
you know, say like do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to report you to HR, Christina. Honestly. Um, Okay, that brings us to the end of our show. Christina, where can we find you online? Uh, You can find me at not a horse girl. No kidding. You can find me at film (laughs) underscore girl. I know I should register not a horse girl. That would be funny. No, you, sh- you should. Uh, you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. You can find my videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. And the series is over now. But if you want to listen back to any of the other episodes, because some of them were really good. Um, I did do a podcast uh, called um, uh, um, uh, Networked, uh, the 5G Future. And that's wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it, that ended last week or two weeks ago? Last week. Nice. Last week. How was the finale? It was good. Actually, funnily enough, we talked about me getting hit by a car, oh. and it, it came up. It came. It came up organically when we were talking about the future of cities. Yeah, Yay. and about the fact that like traffic lights and like self driving cars and things like that might be able to, you know, prevent scenarios like a guy going through, you know, a pedestrian crosswalk and hitting me. That's so cool. I I yeah. can't believe that I managed to come up twice in one week or two weeks. Congratulations! I know. Yeah, on thank you. Educating through examples. I'm, I'm unfiring you. I will not Yay. report you to HR because you've done a Thank good for you. the world. Uh, Thank you. you. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar. I've linked the horse girl package in our show notes. You can also find me at youtube.com slash polygon. I should have a video coming out, uh, if not next week, then the week after because I'm shooting it tomorrow. Very exciting. Uh, I think it'll be fun. It's all about shaders. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rockets. We really appreciate it if you give the show a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find it as well. And then they can learn about horse girls and start to question their entire existence too. Exactly. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>